I hope that's our prayer this morning. For those that are visiting with us, uh, we are engaged in a series on the Ten Commandments. And I remind you that the goal of the Ten Commandments, God desires for his people to live free. I mean, that was the intent. But I want to clarify something I said last week. I talked about truth and grace, how we need to live that way. And here's what that means in specific terms. Anyone who walks through our doors, we will embrace with the love of Jesus. Because we believe anyone, no matter what their condition of life is, is created in the image of God. And they all have stories. And so we will listen, we'll help, we'll walk with them. Our goal will be to help them fall in love with Jesus. But we will hold fast to the truth. That's non-negotiable. And we will accept, but we will not necessarily approve. When I reflect upon our culture in America right now, to me, they're acting like a teenager throwing a tantrum. In order to get their way, they want what? Approval. And what does a teenager who wants approval do to their parents? Well, you don't love me. You don't, and this whole... I look at it, and I realize that it's like we're throwing this gigantic tantrum. And our nation at least appears to be trying to drive God out of its life. And that will cost us. What once was called wrong is now called right, and what was once called right is now called wrong. And in some of the editorials you read anymore, Christians are being viewed as the troublemakers to freedom. Of course, this is all insanity, isn't it? It's culture turning upon itself. And we as a nation, and this was described of Israel so many times in the Old Testament. Israel was described as committing adultery against God. When they chased other idols, when they pursued them, and America is doing that right now with a passion. But let's remember, we should never lose sight of the people in the midst of all the politics. Amen? Don't let this whole political agenda get so extreme that we end up setting apart the very people that God has called us to pursue with the grace of God. So you can turn to Exodus 20. We're looking at verse 14. It is command number 7. As you're doing that... Uh, our nation had a birthday yesterday, and many of you are probably tired because you stayed up and watched fireworks, right? I watched you coming in this morning. I watched the kids coming in this morning. They were tired. You know I like to give away books, and I want to give away a book this morning because our nation has celebrated a birthday. And while the book may appear to be political, it's not. The book is really about how do Christians live as good citizens in our nation. So if you're interested in books like that, this was written several years ago. It's called One Nation, What We Can All Do to Save America's Future by Ben Carson. I see some hands. That was the first one. Come and get it. Remember the rules of this? Read it and pass it on. There's another hand over here you can pass it on to when you're finished. Wave. I think behind you was... She waved, yeah, she waved first, so 
When you finish it, go ahead. Uh, fascinating book about how we as Christians should live. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. So we are at number seven. Again, in the Hebrew, there's two words, no adultery. In fact, actually it says adultery, no adultery. I mean, two simple words, every word matters. And I'm going to acknowledge this morning, this one's going to be a tough one. You know, the Jewish culture has an antidotal story about this command. It goes this way. They talked about when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and Moses said, I have good news and I got bad news. Good news is I got God down to 10. Bad news is no adultery stays. It's my prayer this morning that you hear what God's word has to say and I have to say with grace and truth. Like we sang, I pray that you will be convicted and taught by God's spirit and his word. And here's my goal this morning. No matter where you have been, are, or where you're headed, I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see transformation as possible. And if you think I said something that you thought I said and would like to talk to me about it, please come and talk with me. Just don't email me. The reality is we live in a fallen world, and we live with fallen people. And Christ desires for us to be free from that sin that entraps us. We sang about that this morning when we sang the Apostles' Creed. He doesn't want us to be slaves any longer. But the question this morning is, are you ready to hear what God's Word has to say? Now, you need to know that I love you. I want the best for you, but I want to speak God's truth into you, and I hope to do so with love. We live in a day where everyone is perpetually offended. And there's some things we just got to get over. I got a pastor friend, his name's Tom. He's part of a prayer group that I'm get together with people on Wednesday mornings. And he was talking this past week, and he said, you know, he goes, the church is asleep. He goes, so I started telling my congregation every Sunday morning, and I can't say it like him, but I'm going to try. He, he stands and says, anyone napping? I'm going to start slapping. Of course, you slap with what? The word of God. He says, people need to wake up. And so, I don't want you to go to the Bible looking for what you want. I want you to go to the Bible looking for what God wants. Now, can I give an illustration on that? I mean, here's what happens. And here's the conversations I hear so often. Let's talk about sexual sin. Whether it's outside or inside marriage. I hear people say, you know, I, I know I shouldn't, but, you know, I go and confess to God and God forgives. And that's not what God desires, this continual pattern of sin and confession. It might be what you want, but you've got to confess that you still are enslaved. Now, here's another example. Businessman leaves his wife. His business continues to grow and generates a lot of money. And here's what he says. God is blessing me because he wanted me to leave my wife. See, that's going to the Bible, making it say what you want it to say. And just because your business is doing well and life's going well, doesn't mean you made the right choice. Today in many churches, we take the theology of unconditional love and we make an unconditional approval. And we call it love wins. 
Now, you notice there's a pattern in the Ten Commandments so far. I hope you realize this pattern. The first is we recognize and honor God. That's our only agenda when we gather. Secondly, we honor his name. Third, we honor the Sabbath. We rest. Fourth, we honor our parents. Fifth, we honor human life. And now we honor marriage. So the first thing we must confess is about the idolatry in our land. And we are drowning in a sea of false sexuality. We got to name the idol and we got to take it out. Now, there are four threats in our culture that are moving us down this pathway to this whole false sexuality notion it's education. What used to be taught in universities is now being taught in high schools, is now being taught in elementary schools. There's a re education of our children's minds. And that's why we need to pray for our teachers, those in university that are Christian, those that are in high school that are Christian, because they're on the front lines of a lot of what is being assaulted in terms of education. Secondly is our media. It's things that we actually invite into our home, and we pay money to invite those things into our home. Third thread is pornography. 30% of all the Internet business has to do with pornographic material. That's more than Netflix, Twitter, and Amazon combined. Then the fourth is social media. It's Facebook, it's Twitter, it's all those things. It's dating websites. It's an incredible temptation in our culture. Now, we have to understand that this whole cultural version is deadly to the family. Its promises are empty. It, it's lies that lead to slavery. For instance, you know, couples today talk about living together to see if it works before marriage. Well, that's not what God's word says. In fact, all the research tells us that there's a higher rate of divorce for those who cohabitate than those who do not. But it seems logical, doesn't it? Well, let's try it out first before we make this covenant. So here we are at the seventh commandment. No adultery. Exodus 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. Why is this so critical? Now, hear this whole logical thing that God goes through, and it starts in Genesis 1 right up to Exodus. But we remembered back in the beginning that marriage is about what? It's about family. It's about husband and wife coming together, having children, and that family is one of the crucial building blocks of any nation. It's the basic unit. Now, what our culture wants to do is reduce marriage to sexuality. Marriage is fundamental to the family. And if I were the enemy, I would attack the most crucial strongholds because when they fall, everything else falls. So let's start, what is marriage? I mean, 91% of the people, regardless of how you want to define it, get married. There's dating websites so you can help find the right person. I know for me and my generation, that just seems strange. And yet, the young people use it, and I'm finding out that the older people use it. I've done a lot of remarriages where people's spouses have died, and they met people on a dating internet site. I'm like, okay, this is just strange. 
But you know, when you, I, I like to read things, and some of the people post ads, it just tells you that they're very different than us. For instance, out west farming community, there was a young man who posted this ad. Here's what it said. Young man would like to meet a young woman who has and knows how to drive a tractor. My object of this relationship is marriage, being right up front. Please enclose a picture of the tractor. (laughs) Any woman who answers that ad will get what she, I don't know what she's going to get. But marriage, it is sacred. It is created by God. He officiated the first marriage. And in scripture, it's called a covenantal relationship. God tells Israel all the time that they are unfaithful to their covenant with him. And in the Old Testament language, here's what he uses. He uses the word adultery. Malachi chapter 2. Listen to this passage. Being at verse 13. And this second thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. So you get this picture. Here's this worship service. I mean, there's a lot of emotion going into this. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you've been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenants, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Do you see the marriage and the family? So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. I mean, here's what he's saying. Divorce does violence to the home. I mean, we know this. When a husband or wife are unfaithful, what happens when one of, I mean, someone gets pregnant? I mean, There's no two-parent home to start out that child. Take the children. If you're not aware of this, you need to be. Most children blame themselves. And even though they go through counseling, and even though the parents sit down and say, it's not about you, emotionally inside, they blame themselves. It does violence to their hearts. Then you got birthdays and graduations, sporting events. I mean, you got life. And so one of the biggest lies in our culture is, well, this is just something between two consenting adults and it doesn't hurt anyone. I mean, Scripture tells us in Malachi, the scars go with you. And even though legally we can make it easy, it is never easy on every other single level. Now, that's how God sees marriage. It's sacred. It is a covenant. And we know that our culture views marriage differently. We should not be surprised by that. I mean, Christians think differently about everything than those outside of the kingdom of God. I mean, they're just not going to get it sometimes. 
They treat marriage today as a civil contract, a business arrangement. But the covenant with God and each other is permanent, it's exclusive, it's sacred. I'm waiting for Drew and Dana to say amen. Come on. You guys are an old married couple. They've been married like two weeks now. You know, the Supreme Court ruling just a week ago, it didn't change the definition of marriage. I mean, read it. It took away the definition. In the absence of a definition, it is wide open for other options. I mean, for instance, why should it just be two people? I mean, we get that out of Scripture. And there's already a man that's planning to marry his second wife. And if they turn him down, he is going to sue the state. Because according to the new absence of definition, he can legally do this. So here's where we are. Take gender. Gender is no longer determined by anatomy or theology. It's determined by individuality. This is an example. And then take marriage. I mean, the theme proclaims with the Supreme Court's decision is that love wins. But really, the reality is everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Now, Scripture tells us Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. We think differently. And we need a, we need a strategy in our minds. Let me show you how deception works. Christian couple. Get a call from the wife. She starts telling me of several affairs that her husband has had, that she's forgiven him, but he's still wanting to have dinner once a month with one of the ladies he had the affair with, and he is angry at his wife for not trusting him that nothing would happen. I'm like listening to this conversation saying, what? And she was wondering if she has to put up with this. Now, the side story of this was that this guy in our church was creating problems for me by running around telling people I was no longer preaching the word. While I was preaching the word, he was feeling conviction of the Holy Spirit, and instead of listening to God, he pushed it off of me saying, that's just his issues. I hear many people today say, well, God wants me to be happy. My spouse does not make me happy, and my new friend does. I'm a good person, and I deserve this. Do you hear the culture of entitlement that we take into? And we treat our marriages not as a covenant, but we treat them as a civil contract. That's of the world. I get that. That's how they think. But it's not how Christians think. Covenant. Later, the idea of marriage is used by God to speak about the church. He calls the church the what? The bride. He's the groom. And Christ loves the church. And marriage is an illustration of Christ's love. The scene in Revelation 19, for those that really like to get into prophecy, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a wedding and there's a reception. I mean, how cool is that? If you want to know just how serious this is to God, I mean, some of you may be thinking, well, Aren't you making a bigger deal out of this than it really is? So we sin. We forgive. We get on. A problem is we think more culturally about marriage than biblically. And we go right along 
And this has been going long before the Supreme Court ruling. But here's what God thinks about this. Back when he recorded this law, Leviticus 20, verse 10, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both adulterer and adulteress shall be surely put to what? I mean, that, that's his ruling. It was a capital crime. Why? Why was he so harsh at the very beginning on this? It's because adultery strikes at the very core issue of the family. And anything that goes against the family, do we understand that you destabilize the family, you destabilize any culture, any nation? You don't pass on core values from generation to generation. And this command violates other commands. I mean, adultery. You shall not lie. You realize if you're committing adultery, you've got a whole series of lies to cover up. About where you've been, where you're going, all those kinds of things. Do not honor your parents. What about setting your own desires above God's desire? Violation of the first command. People who live in continual adultery like that are setting that up as their idol. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. This is a stronghold in our nation. We sang that song, We Believe. Do we really believe that God can take this stronghold down? We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Again, here's the strategy of the mind again. Adultery starts here. And when you start going down the wrong road in your head, anything can be a reason to have an affair. So my word to you this morning is stop trying and start training. Now, Jesus takes the Old Testament, he raises the bar. You know, there's too many people today that do not know the Bible, and they think they know Jesus. They view Jesus as this really nice, everyone loves him. It gets all warm and fuzzy when Jesus shows up. (laughs) We forget that when he spoke, there were people that left that meeting, religious people, people who claimed to love God that wanted to kill him. Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28. He has his unique way of taking Old Testament laws and making them more difficult. I mean, for those sitting here this morning saying, well, you know, I've never physically had an affair. And you're feeling pretty good. Listen to what Jesus says. Matthew 5, 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Adultery is just not a culmination of a physical activity. It is a heart issue. And I know I come across people all the time, they start arguing the definition about adultery. When people argue the definition of adultery, we know where their heart is. And there's far too many emotional affairs going on in our country, on social media, in chat rooms. And I hear people say all the time, but, but I never touch them. That's the empty deceit that we read before. I mentioned before about pornography and social media. Think about movies like Fifty Shades of Grey and there's a new one coming out. And think about on our TVs, 10 to 1 ratio of sexual content outside of marriage. 
Think about everything being bombarded. You know, I have couples sometimes that come to me and, you know, one of them's upset because their spouse took their cell phone, their smartphone, and they look through it. Guess what? If you're married and you've got a smartphone, your spouse has full access to that smartphone. You shouldn't have anything to hide. They should pick it up any time of the day and look through your emails, through your texts, through whatever's on those smartphones. I'm too dumb to use a smartphone, so it navigates email for me, and that's about it. But, you know, excuses are the tools of the incompetent. Later on, Jesus says this in Matthew 5. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, you notice it does not say that if someone commits adultery, you go running off to the lawyer. There are plenty of stories and plenty of redemptive stories of couples who have been unfaithful, whose marriage is stronger today because they finally yield that idol over to Christ. But here's what Christ says. Purity in marriage is my intent. It's intent up here in our thought life, in our emotional lives, in our spiritual lives, as well as our physical lives. And if you want to reduce adultery to a set of standards that you do not violate, then you've already violated the number seven command that Moses brought down from the mountain. Adultery causes violence. I've only ever had this happen to me. What time is it there? Oh, we're moving on, aren't we? Let me wrap it up. <laughs> I need to get down to the what I want you to do. Here's what I've said so far. I shouldn't say here's what I've said. Here's what God said so far. Marriage is a covenant relationship initiated and designed by God that reflects Christ and the church. So it's a matter of witness. Christians, we are a witness nation to the world. Adultery does violence to marriage, family, and society. And that's what God says. You destabilize the family, you destabilize a nation. Three, we live in a culture where adultery is celebrated, and we need a plan to stay pure. Four, adultery is a matter of your heart, and it will enslave you. Five, what matters is what God desires. He's the highest authority. And his is the only vote that matters. <laughs> Amen? That's why we have the Ten Commandments. This is not up for opinion. And finally, six, we are called to live pure in our marriages. Now, here's a strategy I want to put out for you as we close. And this will be hard for some. First, define your life forward and then live it backward. Think about the end of your life. What do you want your family to say about you? What do you want your grandkids and your great-grandkids, and if you're so privileged, your great-great-grandkids? Think about the end of your life, where you want to be, and, and go beyond this life, but go into eternity. What does God want you? What do you want God to say about your life? And then from this moment on, put a plan together that, if you do these things, this is where you will be. 
Today, we don't think about long-term consequences. We think about now. And we are so hedonistic that way that everything is about what I want now. And it's my emotional, I don't even know what it is. But define your life forward, then live it backward. Number two, make a plan for purity. The battle is won and lost in your minds. Remember the deception we talked about? Taking down strongholds, destroying empty arguments. They've done recent studies on pornography. It rehardwires your brain. And just like a drug, you have to get off that and rewire your brain again back to where it should be. But know yourself. You know, we call this personal legalism. You know your weakness and strengths, and then you put up appropriate fences. You know, for some of you, you need to stop texting because you can't handle not texting inappropriate things to people. Some of you got to stop flirting. And I hear people say all the time, well, you know, I can look but not touch. No, you can't. You don't flirt. There's no best friend. Your spouse is your best friend. For some, and I've done this for some people, you got to pull out the hard drive of the computer because you cannot handle, even with all the safeguards, here's what we learned about you know, they, they have these safety programs. And when we were working with our youth in the high school back at my last church, those kids know how to get around those programs. Our culture is untethered and it's out of control. Put a strategy that puts God back in control in your life. I mean, they have, in my research this past week, they have websites for married people who want to have an affair and not get caught. They actually had a Super Bowl commercial for it last year. It was banned in every state except one. That was Texas. Here's the mission statement of that website. Life is too short. Have an affair. I mean, there are Christian swinger clubs. And here's what their statement is. For faithful couples who other Christians would judge. And I'm sitting there saying, I would. (laughs) Because God does. But put your plans down. Ask the question. Do you even ask Jesus what he wants? And do you listen and do you obey? Here's the third. This is going to be hard. Come clean before you get caught. Now you realize God has already caught you. Can you hear an amen? (laughs) He already knows. And, And let me say something about us as a church. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, let me say this about people outside of the situation. If you're not mature enough to handle restoration in a Christ-like way, then stay away. Because there's so many people that do not come clean because they know the consequence. I was sharing a story with someone, a dear lady in our last church. Her name was Emma, and when she was 16, she backslid, got pregnant. That church made her sit in the back, away from the congregation. She could not join the youth group. She could not teach, and they told her she could never marry. Do you know what she called her daughter that was born? She called, it, she called her Faith. And she became one of the most gracious, 
faithful people I knew. I mean, that could have just destroyed her. The way Christians react to sexual sin, we got to stop because so many times we just exclude. So if you can't handle the maturity, then just stay away. One of the main reasons why many people don't come clean is because of the harsh reaction of the church. Usually by people who are guilty and still hiding. But in this statement about coming clean before you get caught, there's five conversations you have to have. And this is with any sin. It could be your mind. It could be your heart. It could be a physical. It could be a spiritual affair that you're cheating on Jesus. Here's the five conversations. First, you go to Jesus. And I encourage you to journal it. Write it down. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal and convict you. And if you do this in a sincere way, this will absolutely destroy you. To see yourself as God sees you. The second conversation, talk with a responsible friend. Now, here's what I call a responsible friend. Someone who knows how to keep quiet. Someone who does not run away where once they confess, it's like, okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm out of here. I don't want to deal with this. Someone who's not going to take it easy on you and say, oh, you know, that's okay. You know, you had all these reasons. No. Someone who is truth and grace. I remember sitting down with a person one time and after six hours of confession because he just couldn't stop. I'm like, please just stop. I mean, it was, I mean, six hours. But you know, he needed someone that he could do that with. And where this is hard so often as people in the church because me walking with this individual I heard what everybody outside spreading the rumors were saying. They speculate. And what they really try to do, because they know that this person talked to you, is they try to get you to spill what you know. And so they make accusations. You say, well, that's not true, because here's what's true. It's like, you know what? A friend says, listen, just pray. Just stop it. Commit them to prayer. Here's the third conversation. Talk with your spouse. And in talking to your spouse, understand this. They, they get to feel what they feel. No partial confessions. Not all the details as well. But spouses, don't broadcast this. I mean, you can go to one friend who will speak to you with truth and grace. Fourth conversation you need to have is usually with a counselor. And then a the fifth conversation you need to have is back with your family. And you need to say this. How do we safeguard our marriage and our family moving forward? And that's where accountability groups come in and, and all this kind of stuff. And remember this. Before you cheat on your spouse, you have to cheat on God first. That's truth. I'm going to close with Romans. I'm going to invite the band to come up. Took a little more of your time this morning than normal. Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You got to cheat on God first. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me pray for you. Father, may your spirit take these words whole lot of issues in our culture on this one. So this touches us all. And may your spirit direct our next steps.
But we want to be a congregation with strong marriages and strong families because that's what builds a strong nation. What a privilege it is to be able to go before you and you wash us clean. Teach us to do that with each other as well. We pray these things in your name. Amen.